Welcome, guys, to the Recovering Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fredrickson. We are honored that we could be a part of your recovery journey and encourage you and help you in any way possible. Before you enjoy this awesome podcast, we also just want to let you know there is a whole bunch of free resources that you can find on our website at recoveringreality.com. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Recovering Reality Podcast. I have a new friend who's very excited about her recovery on this morning. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I believe you. (laughs) So this is my friend, Jessica Sanders. She is currently at the Global Supernatural School of Ministry in her third year, right? Correct. And currently in her sixth year of recovery, right? Yes. And she has a a very powerful story that I'm excited to hear more of. And I know many of you will. I don't know about you guys, but I don't get tired of hearing stories of people who are literally, well, walking zombies. (laughs) And now their life is radically transformed. So... I'm excited to dive into it, and why don't you take it away, Jessica? Why don't you, why don't you tell us what it was like and what, uh, what sort of pulled you into the path that you, I'm sure, wish you never would have been on? Right. So, you know, it started out when I was a teenager, and I was just totally into all this rock and roll music and really kind of misguided, didn't really know what direction I wanted to go in life, and so when this music was just talking about this constant party, it's kind of what formed my mind. And so everybody says they never want to grow up to be a junkie, but that's, that's kind of how I was thinking. You know, I really just wanted to be like all these idols to just party as hard as I could and and die very young. Like, so that's the mindset I had. It's, it's interesting. You pick up there. I can really, really relate. So when I was, uh, when I was young and my, my partying started, I was into the hip hop mm-hmm. and I actually ended up making like three albums and doing a lot of, was very involved in that world. And I can look back and say it absolutely molded the way I saw the world thought, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. And none of it was good. None it's it. so powerful. The music is so powerful. Like so often we just think that it's only music and it's harmless, but honestly, it's like what was forming my brain. It's what was forming the way I thought and the things I wanted to pursue. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I can absolutely relate. So, uh, so at what age did you, let's say, open the door and go into the room you wish you wouldn't have gone into? Right. So it started out young for me. Um, when I was like 13 years old, I started drinking when I was staying the night over at friend's house. And then by the time I was 15 is when I started to smoke marijuana. And I really didn't think that was such a big deal because I lived in a small town and that's kind of what everybody did for fun. And so it didn't dawn on me that that was actually a problem until I was about 19 years old and I was in my first year of college and I would drink all night long and then I would get up and I would just feel awful to go to school. And a friend came over and introduced me to meth. Oh, that'll, that'll speed things up literally. And 
figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> that'll uh, that'll create a problem there. Let me ask you this: so from like thirteen to nineteen, which we don't have to speculate. Of course, things got bad when meth was introduced. Was there was there problems? Was there arrests? Was there anything going on with that when you were just drinking and smoking weed a lot? You know, there wasn't. I was actually really active in high school. And so it was one of these things that I was in a popular crowd, but I was friends with everybody. So I could just mingle. And it really, it didn't dawn on me that being blackout drunk every single weekend was a problem. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, when we're young, we think we're indestructible. Right. And it's just, we find out quick, it's just obviously not true. Yeah, so, maybe. so you're, go ahead. What were you going to say? I wish it was quicker that I found out because from the time I was 19, it, you know, this meth addiction, like it only took one time. Mm -hmm. That was all it took. And I, I realized that that's what I had been waiting for. You know, that was the thing that I wanted to pursue. I quit caring about college. I dropped out, quit caring about like family relationships, relationships with anybody that wanted to do anything other than just get high and party. Wow. So, so what, uh, what college were you in at 19? I was at State Fair Community College here in Sedalia, Missouri. Okay. I had my own apartment. You know, it was really just doing the next step after you graduate high school and, you, you know, get out on your own and really was not prepared to live life on my own, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. And introduced to meth one night and it literally just took over your world immediately yeah it never ended wow and what was let me ask you this too T take me through a little bit of your internal world you yeah. know like was there some um was there church was there some sort of spiritual foundation laid when you were young and what started taking place when he introduced literally the devil's drug, as they all are, but that one for sure. Absolutely. That's a really great question because when I was eight years old, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But maybe I realized that, you know, it was my ticket into heaven, but I didn't have any adult to show me what it looked like to walk with the Lord. And mm. so I knew who Jesus was and I knew I heard his voice. And I remember it was a very distinct moment when I was 19 years old, after I really had decided that I was going to dive into this world. I remember I had told the Lord, like, I'm cool. I'm going to do my own thing and you can quit talking to me. Hmm. I mean, it was a real defining moment. That was a real moment in time where I was like, hey, I've heard your voice my whole life. I know what's right and wrong, but I'm going to take it from here. And where did you taking it from here end up taking you? Oh my gosh. So it was not long. Started when I was 19. And by the time I was 20, I was already, had already caught my first felony. What um, was it? it was for forgery. It was a big deal. I mean, I was just completely focused on drugs and whatever it took to get high, I was going to do it. Like consequences didn't actually register to me. Mm -hmm. It was just full speed ahead. And so I caught this felony charge. It was the first time I'd been in trouble. And so I had like the SIS probation where I could have walked it down and it wouldn't have been on my record. 
but that wasn't even like a thought in my mind. Literally six months after I was already in jail, convicted of this felony. Wow. Yeah. So it was literally just like putting a pedal to the metal. And you went, you went from some partying, um, maybe knowing it wasn't the right way to live into six months later, you got a felony charge. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Dropped out of college immediately, like you said. All the way. Quick. And well, I'll say this. Most people would at that point catching the felony charge would say something like, maybe, maybe I'm not doing things right. Like maybe this isn't working. Um, I think you and I can get a good chuckle out of that because for someone like you and I in the path we went down, it's like, well, yeah, that might be most people, but that wasn't me. Uh -huh. um, right. So what took place after the first felony charge? Was there anything that registered that like, this isn't working or was it just, I'm going to go even harder and even faster? I really wish, I wish it had registered that it wasn't working because yeah, I just went full speed ahead. It was like, you know what? I don't care about this. The gravity of what was happening meant nothing to me. Like the only thing that I could think of is getting high. That was it. That was the only priority in my life. Um, there, the consequences, like it didn't seem to connect in my brain. You know, like it didn't seem like this is going to be for the rest of your life, because maybe at that point, the rest of my life didn't even register. You know, I yeah. thought it was fast and young. Mm -hmm. And there's just such a lack of a vision of it's one of the biggest things I talk about when I go into schools and talk is I tell them like, hey, I know it's really difficult for you to understand right now at your age, but the choices you're making right now are affecting your tomorrow. Yeah. The choices you're making right now are affecting things three, five, 10 years from now. And you introduce drugs and alcohol and that, and there's such a, I mean, the, it just physiologically speaking, there becomes such a disconnect from the way you just process normal thinking. It just gets, becomes completely disconnected. And then you add in the spiritual insanity that we invite into our lives and it's just a cocktail. It's just a recipe for absolute disaster. So you, um, so what did life, what did life look like? Arrests, the dope house, what, what was, what was sort of the, the theme life took on after that first arrest? Oh my goodness. So what you just said about lack of vision, that is truly 100% the truth. And I think it's a key for very many young people. Like I absolutely had no vision. So after that, it was just full force, you know, full speed ahead into this addiction. And by the time I was 21 years old, I was already in rehab trying to escape like my second felony, trying to escape a very, um, a drug addiction and a codependent relationship only to come back and be even worse. You know, as at 21 years old, you think you know everything, but really you're just a kid and you don't know anything. And so, you know, I came back and that's when I started to use intravenous drugs when I was 21 years old. And so yeah. rehab only educated me for the worse. Yeah, that's typically um, what jail and rehab does if somebody's there and they have no desire to change. It right. just becomes a, a school for how to do it even worse. 
and people would say how to do it even better or more effective or how to do it even worse and more ineffective however you want to look at it but absolutely yeah I went to my first rehab when I was 21 and I got out I, I didn't want to change and I just ran out the door one day after five months of a nine-month program and I was high that night and I told my car in a blackout two weeks later mm -hmm. the progression of addiction um so if the pedal was all the way to the floor, what did it look like when you started using IV drugs? Okay. So what is it now? I'm like 21 years old. I started at 19. So just like maybe two years later, I, I have just destroyed my face with a pair of tweezers. I mean, when, when I talk about like the very beginning of my addiction, it was so stereotypical that it's scary. So I, I picked my face. I'd be up for weeks at a time. I was completely just delirious. The places that I lived were completely filled with just trash. I mean, you would walk in and, and it was a house that was just turned into a landfill. I mean, it was devastating. And in a very short amount of time, had no job. I mean, couldn't even like function as a living human being. Mm -hmm. Walking zombie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was, uh, what, what did relationships with family look like? Obviously not good, but, um, what, what was going on with relationships with family or any loved ones, um, that you might've been still in, con still be in contact with? So, you know, the thing about my parents, they never gave up on me. Like they would let me come home and, you know, quickly they said, Hey, we're not giving you any money. We see what you're doing we love you. And, and they would literally stay up at night and think of ways that they could get me in trouble with the police just so I could get arrested. You know, they were not, desperate. Not because they were vindictive, but because they knew that probably was the only shot at help. They did. Uh, they loved me very much and, and they were desperate to see a change. And they knew that, you know, everything they had tried wasn't working. So if they needed to get me arrested, they were going to do that, which they were unsuccessful. And so, you know, that was really a lot of torture for them. For 15 years, they had to worry about every single phone call. Was this the one that somebody calls and says they found Jessica dead in an alley? Wow. And at this point, you, you're so roughly a decade into your addiction. Right. Um, so so in that kind of chaos and insanity like most people just sort of write people off they pray they're like i'm just gonna pray for you like i can't do anything to help you you have to want to help yourself so how is it that god began to work in that space and pull you out of which you know completely written off for dead yeah. What, what, what is it? What did, what did your rock bottom look like? And where was it God began to draw you back into life with him? Yeah. So the fun thing about it is five years into my addiction, my mom got totally born again, spirit filled and saved. And so she, I mean, it was radical when she got saved. And so she was just learning all these things about the supernatural power of the Holy spirit. And she would just like give me all this information. So I would be in and out of jail. So from the time I was 19 to the time I was 33, all through my twenties, just, I was an awful criminal. I was always in and out of jail, like to the point 
where the jailers knew me by name. They're like, oh, here's Sanders. You know, we were pretty cool considering. <laughs> and so um, every single time that I would be put in jail, my mom would bring me a Bible. And so I would- You probably got a lot of Bibles. I did have quite the collection. <laughs> but seriously, like she, would, she was faithful to do it every single time I was arrested. And I spent more than a night there. She would show up wherever I was and she would bring me a Bible. And so I always would encounter the Lord in jail. And when I would, I would get out, but there was no community. There was no follow through. I didn't know how to do that. My mom was pouring into me everything that she was learning, even though I didn't want to hear it. She wouldn't stop. She would not relent. And so um, I would just eventually go back out. I would stay clean for like maybe a month. And then I would get bored and I would go back out. But the whole time, my mom, after she got born again, she joined the church. And these people, because there would be highs and lows. I never quit using drugs, but I would be like at a real high functioning level. And then I would be at a really low, like rock bottom, stereotypical level. And it was like that the whole time. It just kind of ebbed and flowed. But when she joined this church and I would come in and I would leave and I would come in and I would leave, but these people were faithful and they prayed for me for 10 years straight. Wow. They would visit me in jail. When I had a, when I had an apartment, they would come and bring me a gallon of milk, you know? So people were faithful to pray for me the whole entire time. And they loved me unconditionally. It makes me cry a little bit. That's what, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. That's what that's what life with Jesus is is supposed to be. I can say, I maybe didn't experience it the exact way you are describing, but my my mom never stopped praying for me. That's for sure. Never stopped and was always she stopped giving me money and right. helping in certain ways. But whenever I would hit that space of desperation, she would help and she was always praying. And I believe that was one of the biggest things, if not the thing that that finally turned my life around. So, so, so what was your thoughts um, about Jesus in the midst of, so here you are literally maybe a little unknowingly just completely working for the devil. Right. And in the midst of it all, God is constantly sending people to you, your family and others, letting them know he loves you knowing full well, obviously knowing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. What did you ever have any sort of thoughts or encounters with God or what, what was some of your experience in the midst of that with people not giving up on you? So I knew it was the Lord pursuing me. It was crazy because I would have lots of encounters with the Lord and I would know that it was him, but it just made me so mad because I didn't want to have to choose. I did not want to have to give up this addiction. I knew I couldn't have both, even as far out there as I was, I knew it was one or the other. And I did not want to give up the addiction. And so I would just get angry and it would really make me so mad. I would, I would beg my mom. I mean, hissing, screaming, all of it. Just please quit telling me that the only answer is Jesus. <laughs> it would make me furious. <laughs> Why? Because you knew she was right, but you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew she was right. And, and I didn't want to hear it because I was not willing to give up the addiction. No matter how bad it got, there was no part of me ever in the entire 15 years that wanted to give it up. Wow. It's funny how, you know, when you listen, when you've gone through it and you listen to other people's stories, so no, no two people's stories is the exact same. 
But when you listen, you're like, man, they're very, very similar. (laughs) There's a lot of similarities. So obviously at some point you did realize Jesus is the answer and give it up. What was the breaking point? What was the like, this is the bottom. I can't do it anymore. Take us through what that looked like. This is actually my favorite part to share. Because (laughs) when I reached, I was 33 years old. And when I reached that point, it was just like, I knew at that point that I was never going to change. Okay. So before the Lord ever entered into my life, I had totally accepted that this is the way it was going to be for the rest of my life. And, and no matter what, I was always going to get high. I was always going to be a junkie and nothing was going to change that. So I had really accepted that as my true identity. What a big lie that was, but still that's where I was at. And so this last time, 33, yeah, 33 years old. And so, um, and it was bad. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like I was set up living the high life. I mean, I had accepted that that was my identity when it was like rock bottom. So it's a pretty sad truth, but it is the truth. So I ended up um, getting arrested and I knew that time when I got arrested that that was it. Like I was going to be in big time trouble because at this point it was like a 15 year criminal history of just doing, you know, whatever I wanted. So I ended up getting arrested. I wasn't going to change. And what does my mom do? She brings me up a Bible. I'm in jail and she brings me a Bible. Oh, God bless that woman. <laughs> I know. I know. And so I'm there. And at this point, these people are like, hey, we know Sanders. She's cool. We're just going to put her in a cell by herself. And I'm like, all right, this is the life, right? This is the life. And so it, I know it's late at night. And I remember I was on the top bunk and I had that Bible cracked open. I don't know what I was reading, but that's when the Holy Spirit hit me. And I will remember until the day I die, I jumped off that top bunk and I threw my hands in the air. And I said, if you are who you say you are, if you are who everybody says you are, I can't live this way anymore, but I can't do it on my own. And in that moment, I was radically delivered from every single bit of addiction to drugs, alcohol, codependency. It was gone, completely gone. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. So let me ask you this. I have no trouble believing those things, things I have seen and experienced, but it's not everybody's experience where it plays out like that. Um, What did it look like? You say it's gone. Okay. So Explain maybe to somebody who's like, I don't believe that. It didn't work like that for me. It doesn't happen like that. I'm whatever. Um, what would you, without staying trying to convince them or anything, just saying your experience with it, what did that look like for you? Like it's gone. What did that look like for you in the next days, weeks, months, the immediate right after? What did it start to look like? So, you know, there was no electricity. There was no, like at that moment, I didn't even actually know it was the Holy Spirit that it was God, you know, I just knew that I had surrendered my life like, like never before. I had never said those words. And as soon as I said, but I can't do it on my own, um, I was filled with a peace. I mean, that was the experience. In the 15 years of addiction, it was nothing but chaos. 
and darkness and always running from something like this invisible enemy. And so at that moment, I just felt like the peace of God cover me from the top of my head all the way down to my toes. And I got back in my bunk and I, and I laid down under my blankets. And I just remember when I went to sleep, I knew something was different. And when I woke up, the peace didn't leave. It was still there. Hmm. And so all those seeds that my mom were just like reaching in this bag of seeds, all the things she was learning and like throwing them at me. And I was like, no, dumping them on your head. (laughs) Yeah. Like, please no more. I don't, you know, Jesus is not the answer. Like it was like in one moment, the Lord came and he watered those and he grew it. And the next thing, you know, I was forgiving people. That was the biggest thing. I knew that I had to forgive everybody who had hurt me. And the Lord was just like bringing all the things I needed to forgive up from way back through the entire, you know, things I would never remember. And so there was this forgiveness, there was breaking soul ties. And so I had these, I had an advantage because of my mom just pouring in all this stuff to me, even when I didn't want to hear it. So I had the advantage and I had the peace and, and that was real, but that was the encounter. But I don't want to neglect the fact that I had to walk it out, like mm-hmm. out. So I'm in jail. They send me to prison for four months, you know, and it was like the first time I was ever walking with the Lord. It was just the joy of the Lord was with me. I was Wait, the- so you had never been to prison before that? It was no. always just jail? Always Your just- first experience in prison was right out. That's, oh man, that's funny. <laughs> I mean, it was like pure joy and I couldn't stop telling people what the Lord had done. You know, when I opened the Bible, I was just devouring it. It was just like the word of God was just speaking to me in such a profound way. And so there were all these things that I had never experienced that just started to happen in my life. But, but I had a choice, you know, it was still an encounter and it was real. It was real like every other encounter I'd had in jail, but I had to get out and I had to walk it out. Right. And so what did life look like for you coming out of coming out of prison? Now you're so now you're free. You went to prison for four months. Mm-hmm. Now you're free. I'm assuming you still got some legal stuff to tie up probation or parole, right. things like this. What did it what was it like when you had real free? You're outside of prison now. And now here you are walking with God for the first time, like really free. What did it start to look like then? So for me, I had to go to, I was accepted into a place in Kansas City called the Healing House. And it was a faith-based transitional place. And I knew, I knew that I had to go someplace to learn how to live again, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter how you were raised after 15 years being out in an addiction, you have to learn over again. You know, so I had a radical heart change but I still had to put in the work to learn what it looked like to have stability and structure. You know, what does it look like to clean your house? What does it look like to be on time for something? Pay your bills. Mm. Pay your bills, you know, have responsibility. And Mm so I pulled out, I got accepted into the healing house and it's such an amazing place. It changed my life. I actually lived there for four years. Oh, that's awesome. And so when I knew that the Lord was sending me there, I I just could kick back because I didn't have any pressure. I just really wanted to give my whole heart to the Lord and to learn what it looked like to live in recovery. Wow. 
I'm, you know, part of me wants to just sit and, you know, let it sink in. Cause it's like, I just never get tired of hearing the stories because none of them are the same. Right. But you always see the same person work in the midst of it. And it's always the same things as freedom, it's deliverance, it's, yeah. it's grace, it's us getting things we don't deserve. Right. Oh my gosh. I did not deserve the things I got, especially early on. Like just deserve it, you know, and it just comes flooding into our life. And so here you are, you've moved. You're in a different state. Uh, no, you're in the same state, right? Yeah. Kansas City's in Missouri. <laughs> um, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's the thing. Like, so when I went to the healing house, I just totally surrendered my life to the Lord. And I was like, you know, whenever, whenever it's time to move on, the Lord will open the door and he'll make it clear and I'll just walk through it. And that's exactly what he did. And so to be able to be patient, to not have a timeline, to be able to let the Lord work in my life and be able to walk out recovery, like what does that look like? So I had to be in a community. Mm -hmm. It was really important for me to be in the community. And in that place, I mean, I made some of my very best friends that I'll have for the rest of my life, you know, doing the same thing, seeking the Lord, staying in recovery, helping other people, just moving in that place of, of surrender, you know? And so four years later, the Lord opened the door and I ended up moving to Pennsylvania in a very short amount of time. Like that was the biggest life move I'd ever made, but he opened the door. I realized it was the moment. And in two weeks, I had like quit my job, left my apartment. My parents were like giving me their best wishes. And I went ahead and made the decision to go to Global. Global. Now, explain to people. I, I know Global have a lot of friends who actually work there. Um, explain to people what, what Global is that are like Global. What is, what is that? Right. <laughs> so and this is Supernatural School of Ministry. And so you go to global and you learn um, all about your identity, which has been the coolest thing ever to learn about my identity. And then also like the gifts of the spirit and, and just ministry out on the streets. You know, what does that look like through the Holy spirit? Mm -hmm. So describe that a little bit. You, cause you mentioned earlier, you said you're, you had just surrendered to the fact that your identity was a strung out rock bottom drug addict. And now you talk about learning about my identity. So what does identity look like four years into your recovery there going to a global supernatural school of ministry? What did your identity start to look like? Oh, wow, that's really, that's a good question. So I was really about like pouring out everything that I had, you know? So while I'm living at the healing house, um, I, I made sure to sponsor as many people as I could, you know, and I, I let them know that the way that I do this is, you know, if, if you believe in Jesus, I'm the girl for you, like, come to me and we'll work the steps with, with the Lord. We'll do it like that. And so really, I already had like a really strong sense of integrity. Character was a really big deal for me. It still is, you know, to be able to walk in purity, like these things were super important. And uh, so then to go to global, and it was like starting all over. So, you know, by the time you're at some place for four years, like everybody kind of knows you, there's kind of a certain thing, like, you know, you're the cool kid on the block, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Then I walked into global and it was like at the healing house, I, it felt like I was like the most hungry for Jesus out of everybody, 
but then I go to global and like everybody's just as hungry. So it's like a whole new ball game. And not only that, like in this particular class, I was the only person with my background. So I went from a, I went from a place where here's 200 people, 200 brothers and sisters who have basically the same background to go into this other place where here's 50 brand new people who have never struggled with addiction. Hmm. Yeah, that's a little bit of a change there. That's one of the things I love about God is if he's, he's like, okay, so you're really hungry. You really want to grow. We're going to make you as uncomfortable as possible. Oh, because yeah. we're not going to grow in our little comfort bubble. It doesn't work like that. So, so what does your first year at Global look like for you? Wow. So it was just straight heart surgery. <laughs> I went in there and I thought like I knew everything once again, <laughs> but also there was like a humbling. You know? So I went in there humble, but I really felt like, hey, I know who I am, which I did. But to learn who you are in Jesus even more, what does that mean? So I learned what it looked like to walk in authority. Hmm. You know, I learned what it looked like to be seated with Christ. You know, instead of just focusing on recovery, I got to focus on the whole aspect of learning who I was in Jesus, apart from the recovery. Like, I've been recovered, right? I believe mm -hmm. I've totally been recovered. And so then he just moved me. It was just like being a little baby and learning from the very beginning, like who you are in Jesus. And so it was really kind of tough. Like you made a good point where you said that you can't grow in your comfort zone. I had gotten very comfortable. And so the mm -hmm. Lord moved me a thousand miles away and I got very uncomfortable. But in that one year, I grew so much, you know, so boldly enough to move in the gifts of the spirit, to be able to walk up to somebody and hear what the Lord is saying for them on the street, you know, and then to see a miraculous healing in their body or to see them open the door and let God in, or even just to plant a seed. Mm -hmm. Wow. And now you are entering your third year at Global. Mm -hmm. And you, we were talking before and you said you're moving again somewhere. What does, what does this next move um, hold for you? You're going into your third year to different state and everything. What is, what's this about? So I'm going to do a third year internship with Global at a church in Syracuse, New York. And it, that's the interesting thing about the Lord. You know, he's shown me what it's like to, to leave the things I love. But in my addiction, like there was never like a leave on a good term. You were always like running away from every single thing. And now, even though it's kind of hard to leave because things are so good, I always know I can come back. Like there's always a bridge and there's always an open door to be able to come back or to go visit. And relationship is one of the greatest things that recovery, God, global what I've gained from that is like relationship with people. I, I don't have to run away from people anymore. I don't have to run away from places. It's just like this crazy adventure with the Lord. So to get to move from state to state and, and jump around has just been really exciting for me. You know, I never dreamed that I would do something like that, even just to move. So that's been really cool. But yeah, so I, I get to just go and intern at this church and the Lord just has a special place there with the pastors and their family to learn. Wow.
So you gave your life to Jesus at eight years old. Yeah. Went the wrong direction <laughs> um, for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And from the age of 33 and you are now. I just turned 40. You just turned 40. Uh, you got to say it with more confidence. You haven't even oh hit your dear. prime yet. <laughs> Listen, I prayed about it for one year and the Lord totally changed my heart. Like turning 40 used to be like kind of a cringe thing, but now I'm so, I'm like so excited for this decade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're just barely getting into your prime. Just right. barely. Mm -hmm. And uh, in six years, it's safe to say, is it safe to say that your life is so radically different than it's far beyond what you already could have imagined right now? Yeah. I mean, within the first year of recovery, I had already done things that I had never dreamed about. And, and literally, the Lord will put a dream in my heart and then he'll move me to a new place. And it's like, we get to go do all that. And it's just mm -hmm. scratching the surface. Like, I'll look at pictures from the past, and I know that's me, but I can't even identify with that person. It is mm -hmm. true. All things, all things pass away. Behold the new. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so good to hear another story like this. So I know you've just told your whole story here, obviously. Um, but let's say you're sitting down talking to that person who's stuck in that place that you were in, and they are a hundred percent convinced so they think that that is their identity too so you got you know 30 seconds a minute to say something to them in that space what, what is it you say to that person that's lost hope that's stuck in that spot you were in yeah i just really like to let them know that i was in that same exact spot uh -huh. you know and that jesus really is the answer just surrendering their life and you know really just to let them know that they're loved regardless mm -hmm. to let them know that they're loved and that they're important and that there really is a purpose and a plan for their life. And it's not the end. Mm -hmm. It's not, if it was, if it was the end, we, you and I would not be sitting here talking. That's right. And if we were, it wouldn't be about anything good. <laughs> no. I, no, I honestly don't believe that I would have made it this far. Me either. Yeah. No especially not the way the drugs are these days. It's a different ball game out there. It is not right. the same world out there. There's if, if I even was still, you know, in my addiction, there's no way I would have come this, this far. There's just no way I would have lived this long. Yeah. Same here. And now we get to live with God. It's, <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> mm -hmm. It really is. Um, well, I want to thank you. Um, one of the things that I do with guests that come on the show uh, oftentimes is I just, uh, so I just prophesy over my, you know, other guests that come on. I'm like, Hey, can I just encourage you with something? Cause they, they don't know what I'm talking about, but I want to just, uh, I want to just encourage you right now. Does that work for you? Oh, please. Uh, so Father, just thank you for what you've done in Jessica's life. Um, and well, I, I feel like um, there's going to be a lot more missions trips coming up for you. Um, even just taking teams and just really being involved in some, uh, some very 
powerful trips overseas. Um, and more than that, uh, at home, say like here in, in the U S uh, I just, I just see God giving you a very radical favor to speak into the lives of women, um, young women, children, young women. And uh, I just, I feel like there's a dream in your heart to just see women come from the worst of the worst into the best of the best. And I, I just feel like that um, in this next season, you're going to begin to see some of those pieces come together for that and get a lot more clarity for it. Um, and I just see God giving you something this next season that you're going to be stewarding for the remainder of your days. That is going to be very, very powerful and focused in on what he wants to do with a generation of very, very broken women and him using you right in the middle of it to see endless women's lives transformed and them walking with God. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Hopefully it makes sense to you. Yeah, it does. Okay. All right. Good. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I know you're going to be, it's going to be very, very encouraging for a lot of people. Um, sometimes I like how you broke down the practical parts of it too, because, you know, sometimes we got to hear the details of the story, especially of what it looked like walking it out early on. Um, and so thank you for being open and vulnerable with your story. It was my pleasure. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to leave, leave the audience with today? Um, you know, just give, give back whatever you get freely, just give back to other people. Don't keep anything like it's yours alone. Always just share what you have and just lift the next person up. I like that. Simple. And yeah. I call, I call that place the, the paradoxical paradise. It doesn't make sense. I should be, I should be constantly losing energy and stuff if I'm always giving, but I'm always gaining when I'm doing that. That's good. It's the truth. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Jessica. And thank you guys again for tuning into another episode here on the Recovering Reality Podcast. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Recovering Reality Podcast. If you're interested in recovery coaching, please reach out to us, get plugged into a free 20-minute session so we can get you on the road to transformation. If nothing changes, then nothing changes. You can start a brand new life starting today. Look forward to hearing from you guys. Thanks for joining us.